Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And we have a great show for you today. It was an interesting question that came up from, from one of our listeners. Um, and if you look at the title of our show, it's called, Did I Marry a Narcissist? You know, narcissism, the idea of being a narcissist or what is narcissism, that word is thrown around all the time lately in the last, oh, I don't know, four years, five years. I keep hearing, oh, that person's a narcissist or this person's a narcissist, almost thrown out as as easily as racism, you know, oh, you're a racist or that person's a racist, but we don't always really even understand what it means. What does it mean to be a narcissist? I kind of feel like if anybody's ever seen the movie, The Princess Bride, you know, you keep saying that word. I, I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, <clears throat> so it's an interesting question that came up because one of our readers sent me a question about their spouse and they were wondering, gosh, are they narcissistic? Is this why I feel that we're having issues in our marriage? Is this why things aren't going well? So it'll be an interesting topic to talk about. I think what we need to do in order to give it uh, full, it's, it's just desserts, um, we need to talk about what is narcissism? Um, how do we diagnose it? We'll go through the criteria for that. Um, and then also, what is the implication in the spiritual life? Is there any implication to narcissism? Uh, can we find a parallel or something where it might be influencing us spiritually? Uh, and then lastly, in our third hour, we're going to do our coffee and therapy, where I'm going to uh, read to you what the what our reader, or excuse me, our listener uh, had to say what questions she had about her relationship. And we're kind of going to dissect that a little bit in a, in a bit of a mini therapy session. We'll finish off our show here as we continue to do the Holy Hour Challenge for anybody doing that with me. Uh, we are now, well, at least I am now, uh, praying for hope. Uh, and I think it ties in very nicely when we talk about the topic of narcissism, what that means, and how does hope come into play. But let's get started. Um, <clears throat> let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Today, we're going to do the Regina Chelli. One of our listeners was kind enough to reach out to me and say, hey, Dr. Sandoval, you know, we are in the season of Easter. We are in Eastertide. And of course, I totally forgot in Eastertide, we don't pray the Angelus at the noon hour. We pray the Regina Chelli. So let's play the, pray the Regina Chelli, even though now, by the time you listen to this, we're going to be out of Eastertide. But for all those uh, days during Easter when I didn't pray it, we'll pray it today. So it goes like this for anybody who's never heard it. It's called Queen of Heaven um, or Regina Chelli in Latin. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord has truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray, O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant we beseech thee that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That'll make my mom proud, too. She always tries to remind me that during Easter, we pray the Regina Celli. Um, <clears throat> so, in our show today, oh, one thing before we get started, before I forget, don't forget that coming up uh, June 12th is our men's conference. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have Jesse Romero uh, doing that, and we're, we should have... Uh, <clears throat> Um, Eddie Chavez is coming back to do that for us. So I think that that's going to be a very, very exciting conference. I'm definitely looking forward to 
listening and see what they have to say and learn, uh, as always, as we're always constantly learning from each other and from different perspectives as to how to improve our manhood uh, and what that really means. All right. Well, let's get in on our show today. So, you know, um, this topic of narcissism, what does it really mean? You know, how do we define it psychiatrically? Um, is it necessarily bad to be a narcissist? What does that, you know, if we look at it, we, it's such a bad term. Oh, he's such a narcissist, such a narcissist. But when we look at what it means, maybe many people we think might be narcissistic might actually not be entirely narcissistic, but other people uh, might be. Um, but let's see, let's see what we have here. So, um, it's a regular term in our society. You know, like I was saying, we like to attribute it to politicians. Um, and really what it comes down to when we talk about it, it, it really says, you know, it's a sense of self aggrandizement. In other words, this person really thinks a whole lot about themselves. Um, you know, but being a politician, shouldn't you have good self-confidence? Shouldn't you think that you do have some kind of an important or let's say a public figure. I don't want to necessarily pick on all politicians, but if you're a public figure, if you're the head of a company, heck, if you're even a teacher teaching, say fourth grade, don't you think that you got to have some sense of importance, some sense of what you are saying is important that you are teaching people or guiding people or students uh, with the knowledge that you're going to give or with the actions you're going to take or really the power you're going to have. I mean, we have very powerful positions because uh, if you are in government or politics or even a teacher, you get to decide something like how much do we tax people? You know, are people going to have to quarantine? Um, Do the kids have to stay in for recess an extra five minutes? That can be a lot of power to the people who that is being applied to. And the person doing that, they can get a sense of self-aggrandizement. Look at the power I have. Look at Look at what I can do here. Look at how much I can make people change or what influence I have in their life. Now, we want to make the distinction, though, is that can it lead to that? Sure. Is that is there a sense of narcissism versus, you know, a sense of self-esteem? You know, what, what's the difference there? Is good self-esteem means, you know what, I think I can do things well. I think that I, I um, you know, I can lead somebody and, and lead this whole a group of field trip people, and it can be a successful field trip, and I'm going to organize it. I'm going to make sure things are in order so that these people can have fun, so that the students on a field trip can have a good time. I'm going to organize it. I'm going to make sure, let them know where to go, what they need to see, and guide them in that way. Really, that sounds more like I'm at the service of others, and I'm going to use my skills to be at the service of others. And hopefully that's where we get to. Um, But there's a big difference, right? There's a big difference between saying, look at me, look at how much power I have versus I'm going to use the skills I have to be at the service of others. But let's look at how, how do we diagnose that? You know, somebody comes into the clinic and they, as we're talking and, and we're getting to know each other and we're trying to diagnose and we say, well, you know, as I start talking to them, how do I know that they're narcissistic? Let's talk about it a little bit. Narcissism is a personality disorder. So it's classified under Cluster B of the personality disorders. If you've never looked up personality disorders, there's three clusters, clusters A, cluster B, cluster C. Narcissism is in cluster B. There are four disorders in cluster B. They kind of blend a little bit, but they have their own distinctions. And this is why we separate them out within that cluster. So one of them is narcissistic personality disorder. The other one is antisocial personality disorder. The other one is borderline personality disorder and then you have histrionic personality disorder. They all have characteristics of each other, but they do have certain distinctions that make them unique. And one of the things about personality disorders, however, is that it's different from, say, diagnosing depression or bipolar or anxiety 
and that personality disorders are traits that we technically all have. We all have these traits. We can all be a little narcissistic at times. We can all be a little antisocial at times. We can all have borderline or histrionic tendencies at times, but it doesn't pervade our personality. When does it become a disorder? It becomes a disorder when it, it, it's really present in all areas of your life. It never stops. <clears throat> so all of these in cluster B, they're really associated with emotional and unpredictable behavior. Everything is erratic. If you've ever met somebody who it seems like their life is just never in order, everything's a big deal. Um, even the smallest things seem to be a big thing to accomplish for them. They might have a personality disorder if that's happening all the time. Very different than if somebody tells me last minute, Dr. Sandoval, you got to get to the clinic right now. There's an emergency. Well, I might get worked up. I might get emotional. I might, you know, start to feel, behave a little unpredictably and, you know, forget something at home or, or in my office and I have to get to the hospital or something. Well, that's one moment. But they're going to say, is that the way Dr. Sandoval always is? No, he got called for an emergency. But people who have these disorders, especially in cluster B, tend to lead their lives that way as though there's always an alarm. There's always an emergency. Everything's a big deal. Let's look at how the DSM defines it now. From the change from the DSM-4 to now the DSM-5, our Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what we use to make our psychiatric diagnoses, there was no change in, in how we diagnose it. And it's defined as a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, and with lack of empathy beginning in early adulthood as indicated by at least five of the following, and this is important, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. In other words, they exaggerate their achievements, they expect to be recognized as superior without actually completing the achievements. This is important because we see this a lot of times. People in power can easily say, you know, I deserve this role. I deserve to be in this in this role of leadership and power because I've done so much. I've done so much for this county, for the city, for the state, for the country, whatever it is. And they say, you know, I, I've just dedicated my life to this and I've done so much. And then when you get to the nitty gritty and you say, well, what have they done? Give me just one accomplishment. There really isn't much there, but boy, they feel that, that they deserve it. So th that sense of really being self-important. The next one is preoccupation with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, beauty, or perfect love. Notice that the preoccupation is fantasies, not that this is actually happening, but there's a fantasy of success, power, brilliance, beauty, or perfect love. Things that, you know, we might attain some level of success, some level of power, but for somebody with a narcissistic personality disorder, they think of it to the nth degree and they believe they deserve it. You know, somehow they, they deserve this without necessarily having accomplished anything believes that they are special and can only be understood by or should associate with other special people or institutions. The important thing there is special meaning as in set aside, you know, very different from everybody else in the room. I'm special. Nobody else can possibly understand me. And I'm only going to hang out or associate myself with other people on the same level. You know, other people who it could be something as socioeconomic, like, well, you know, I think I make so much money every year and I'm going to only hang out with people who make this much money or things of that nature. Requires excessive admiration. They really need to be admired by others. The, the, what other people think of them is very important to them. And then we're going to read the rest of them when we come back from the break. But if this sounds familiar to you, don't be too scared. We all have some of these traits at, traits at some point. The question is, does this pervade your whole life or the whole life of another person?
All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Bruce Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the programming we do here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I think it's great to always explore our Catholic faith, what it means in our life and in different facets, facets of our life. Today we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder. How does it affect us? And what do we do if we think we might be married to somebody um, who might be a narcissist or for that matter, have a family member or have a friend or anybody we're associated with? Of course, being married gives us a much stronger tie there. Uh, before the break, I was going through some of the diagnoses criteria that we use when we are evaluating somebody to see if they do have narcissistic personality disorder. And I'm going to continue that list. So in order for somebody to have this, they also have to have a sense of entitlement, such as unreasonable expectations of favorable treatment or compliance with his or her expectations. Somebody who shows up to the restaurant and wants to get a table, even though the restaurant's full, somebody who will, you know, we see this all the time, right? So all of a sudden, if you're famous, let's just say you're a movie star or something, you think that you're going to get special treatment. There's a certain level of narcissism that would have to go into that certain level of self-importance, but society tells movie stars that they're that important. Society gives them these things. They feel like just because you're a movie star, or you're famous, well, you're going to get what whatever you want. And it can breed a little bit of a narcissistic trait. I'm not saying that movie stars are or have narcissistic personality disorder. I'm just saying that that kind of uh, focus or that kind of attention on somebody or elation on somebody can lead to somebody gaining that sense of self-aggrandizement. Um, so really a sense that somebody has to meet my expectations. You also see this. It doesn't have to be that big. It could be somebody who's ordering something at the restaurant and saying, hey, you know what? I want my toast uh, made in a special way. I just want the medium toast with very light butter. And the, the toast come out and all of a sudden, no, they're not right. No, you know what? I just needed, a, it's a little bit more, just a little more toast, a little less butter. And they're never right, but they want the chef to really uh, meet their expectations in a way that probably nobody else could unless they're making their own toast at that point. Uh, another trait is that they are exploitative and take advantage of others to achieve their own ends. In other words, we've got to remember they lack empathy. They don't feel for other people, which is going to be the next trait, but this is why they can exploit others or they use others and say, I need to get this done. How am I going to use this person to get this done? I'm not going to, I don't really care what that other person, if I'm going to put them out or not, but I need to achieve my goals. The next trait is that they lack empathy and are willing to identify and are, excuse me, unwilling, unwilling to identify with the needs of others. So if you lack empathy, you really don't care what's happening in the other person's life. Another person might just be somebody that you need to use, as we said before, to reach your goals is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. They are never at peace. There's always a jealousy because with narcissism, if it appears that somebody has even a little bit more or it has joy from something, God forbid that I don't. And all of a sudden that becomes a problem, right? I need to be better than everybody else, or I need to be perceived as being smarter, more put together than everybody else. Um, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors and attitude. This is when somebody walks in the room and they don't even care to say hi because they're so important. They're going to go sit in the corner. They're going to go sit somewhere else and they're not going to engage. They're not going to um, greet other people or make other people feel welcome or try to be included in a group. Now we do have a couple of subtypes. Um, so of those, actually of those traits that I just read, they have to meet at least five of those. So there's got to be five of those traits working at the same time. And again, it's got to be pervasive in all areas of life, meaning that it doesn't just happen. They can't just relax. Let's just pretend it's a movie star and they feel very important when they're on the set, but then they go to the restaurant, they go home, they go anywhere else. And they're still that movie star. They don't relax and they don't realize this is just a role I play. And then at home I can be myself. 
Um, we do have two subtypes, grandiose versus vulnerable. So the grandiose subtype is when there is that sense of entitlement, that sense of I want to be in the limelight, I want people to see how important I am or I think I am. The vulnerable one, remember, they lack self-esteem. So if there's no self-esteem there, anytime that somebody tells them that maybe you don't like the shoes they're wearing, you don't think the outfit that they're wearing is quite as put together, or let's say that you even give a suggestion and say, hey, that's a great suit. You know what? It might go better with a orange tie than a gray tie. Their world falls apart because they're so vulnerable, their self-esteem is low, and all of a sudden they feel like they did something completely wrong and it can never be fixed. How is this passed on? Can it be genetic? It can be genetic. We don't have 100% studies as to how uh, the percentage on that, but we know that it can be passed on. We see the traits in family members. Um, it can also come from as the studies show, there's nothing definitive here. There's different studies and we're still looking at what can cause this type of personality disorder, but being rejected as a child can easily cause that fragile ego. Um, it's that excessive attention to a child can easily cause a sense of uh, entitlement, being praised excessively. So we want to keep things in the balance. Does this sound familiar? What do we keep in balance? The virtues, right? If we're virtuous, we want to don't want to do anything in excess one way or another. Um, it's a little bit more prevalent in men. Uh, than in women. So we're going to find that about, based on a study that was done, 7.7% greater in men versus 4.8% uh, more common in women in a study that was done with about 32,000 people. Um, common comorbidities. So this is what's really important when we're diagnosing um, narcissistic personality disorder is that we can't just jump to the conclusion. This is why it gets very dangerous to say, oh my gosh, look at that person on TV. They're so narcissistic. If you've never actually sat down to talk to somebody and treated them and asked them the questions and gone through the criteria, we really can't diagnose narcissistic personality disorder. Again, I said we could all have traits of it. I could say, well, yeah, that person has a big sense of self-importance, I don't know that they have an actual personality disorder. They might just be arrogant. You know, it's a bit, and there's a fine distinction between that. But you want to look at comorbidities. In other words, things or diagnoses that can occur along with narcissistic personality disorder. One of them is antisocial personality disorder. Person has no um, care about the laws, they're going to break the law, and they don't feel that anything uh, you know, consequences applied to them. And it really it takes until the police get there before they get scared and actually go into jail. And then that's what it takes for them to even consider not, you know, holding up a store or, or, or stealing from a bank. That's antisocial. Borderline personality disorder, very intense relationships, quick to commit suicide if they feel that they're, or at least say that they're going to commit suicide if they feel that they're being abandoned um, or that something doesn't feel right and very, you know, erratic emotionally histrionic, somebody who comes into the room and they need to make their presence known. Um, they need to make sure that the limelight's on them and that everybody sees them. Also, along with narcissistic personality disorder, you want to make sure that there is no major depressive disorder because this can occur. People, if you're experiencing depression, you might not be acting right. You might not be feeling right. You might be very fragile. Obsessive compulsive disorder, you're going to be thinking about things regularly. And then we always want to rule out substance-induced mood disorder. In other words, is this person doing drugs all the time? For all you know, somebody might be on cocaine all the time and they might be on this elevation um, type mood and they might always want to get attention or feel that they're important and it could be the drugs that is driving that. So one of the questions I have is, is there a spiritual component that we can you know, apply to narcissistic personality disorder? Can we see that somebody who's narcissistic, is it strictly something psychiatric? Well, here, obviously, at the Dr. Sandoval Clinic, you know, we look at the whole body. We look at the mind, the body, and the spirit. And when we look at narcissism, if we're looking at different studies, another way to say narcissism would be pride, 
right? Why pride? Because a narcissistic person really focuses on their accomplishments. If I were narcissistic, you could say, well, Dr. Samuel, I think you're a little narcissistic. You know, you've got titles after your name. You think you're pretty important. Well, the titles are nice, but I would say I think being a dad is much more important than having any letters after my name. But somebody who's truly narcissistic, if they don't have, in my case, I have an MD and an MPH and a BA and, you know, different degrees that you acquire as you go through the academic world. Um, but somebody who's narcissistic, if they don't have those letters, if they're not referred to as doctor, if they're not, um, if they can't show you what their credentials are, they feel they have no value, even in society. They feel that they're not really going to matter to people. So they're always very to sh ready to show you, this is what I do. This is what I studied. This is who I am. But think about it. We kind of live in a bit of a narcissist, narcissistic society where the first thing we do is we introduce each ourselves to each other and we say, hi, how you doing? What do you do? You know, we kind of breed this a little bit. I'm not saying the personality disorder, but we live in a society where we ask each other what you do, what kind of work do you do? Because that's how we know how to relate to each other. And so we do kind of give a sense of importance as far as titles in other cultures. They don't do that. They get to know people and then they don't even really know what the other person might do until maybe a week later or sometime later, because all they know is that they're friends and they hang out in our society. We're very used to asking, what is it that you do? So there's a few things that we need to look at when it comes to narcissism. It could be something that we call, we need to make distinctions spiritually. I would say the distinctions are, do we have authentic pride or actually humility or hubristic pride or vain pride? There is a big difference. You know, we say, gosh, I'm really proud of your accomplishments or I'm proud of what I did. I wouldn't right away say, oh, somebody's proud of what they did. They're narcissistic. What an ego on that person. No, it's good to have pride in what we do. What that means is I can honestly take a look at, I used my talents and I was able to make this wooden box or I went to a class and I learned how to make a wooden box because I took shop class and I did what the instructor did and my box was the best one in the class. I'm so happy about that because it shows that based on the work we did, we came up with an accomplishment and it came out to what we were hoping for. Remember the narcissistic person is looking for praise for something they don't even need take credit for. They might take that class and they might automatically think they're going to be the best. And then when their wooden box doesn't come out to be the best, all of a sudden they're going to say, well, it was somebody else's fault it's because the machine might would have been the best, but, and that's that hubristic pride, that vain pride of I'm already the best. It's just, this box is not going to show it, but I know that I'm better than everybody else. That's the difference between having a good self-esteem of, I can use the gifts that God gave me to do something. It's the gifts that God gave me, not my own gifts. It's the difference between me saying, I have these gifts. I'm going to help somebody else with them. I'm going to make society better. So I'm going to be in a place of service versus these are my gifts and I should be lauded for them. I should be important just because I have them and they came from me, meaning I don't want to serve anybody. Does that kind of sound familiar? I think it sounds like the difference between can I get to heaven or hell? I don't think there's a possible way to get to heaven if we're narcissistic because it's rooted in pride. So there's actually been some studies done. Um, there's one study that was called authentic and hubristic pride differential effects on delay of gratification. I thought this was an important study spiritually because we're talking about delayed gratification and they were looking at if you have what they call hubristic pride or if you have narcissism uh, versus if you have authentic pride or a good self-esteem or a certain sense of humility, how does that affect your ability to delay gratification? Meaning I don't have to have it now. And of course a study came out and it showed that if you are narcissistic, there's no way that you can't have things right now. 
you need it right now. You want it right now. You're going to use the credit cards. You're going to, you know, run up those credit cards because you want to have the clothes, the car, the TV. If, however, you have humility, you're able to say, you know what? That might happen in the future. Why do I think this is important spiritually? Because I think that this study fascinated me in terms of delayed gratification. Because while the study looks at it from a scientific point of view of saying, well, let's look at people who are already diagnosed with either narcissism or who seem to have a good self-esteem, and let's see how that affects our delayed gratification, I think that we can look at it the other way in the spiritual world and say, why is it that we fast? Why is it that we do self-mortification? Why is it that we do sacrifice? When we do these things, is it because we have good humility? Or is it because by doing these things, we look at it from the reverse, who has ever looked at the people who are able to fast more, who are, who are able to pray more, who delay their gratification more, Maybe they grow in humility. These are the things that we need to ask ourselves because even scientifically we see that there is a connection. If we can delay our gratification and we can make ourselves less a little bit, I can hold off on eating that piece of meat. I can hold off on that candy bar. I think I'm gonna to start to grow spiritually and find humility versus having that sense of pride. More when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are talking about narcissism. And uh, right now we are coming into our coffee and therapy session. My favorite thing in the world, a cup of coffee. Can't beat it. Good cup of coffee. Can't beat it. But uh, the reason I like to mix my coffee and therapy is because I think of coffee as a relaxing time, as a time to just kind of kick back and just be with your own thoughts. Therapy, when people come to therapy and they want to ask questions, I think it should be a time where we just kind of relax and talk and we kind of just explore and ask ourselves, well, what is going on in life? What's happening in your life? What, uh, um, what's going on? It should not be that big a deal. It can be very scary to think, oh, Dr. Sandoval is going to diagnose me or he's going to tell me there's something wrong with me. Nah, we all go through life. Gosh, if we all have to look at, interiorly at ourselves, I think we need to do that more often and really clean that space inside, uh, do an examination of conscience and see where are we with the big guy? Um, but that's what I enjoy, you know, doing therapy sessions. It should be a much more relaxation time, a time we learn from each other and hopefully come out better people for it. So here was an interesting, you know, the reason I decided on, on this topic of narcissism, one, because it's so prevalent in society, we wondered, man, this person's just full of themselves. What's going on? Um, but then we start to have effects. It can affect relationships. If somebody truly is narcissistic, not the societal narcissistic where we just point fingers and we say everybody's narcissistic, but if somebody truly does have a narcissistic personality disorder, it can be very, very hard to live with that person. So this is a letter, um, a letter I got from one of our listeners. Of course, we keep everything confidential and anonymous. And it just says, dear Dr. Sandoval, I am not sure if you have ever treated this, but I believe my husband is narcissistic or at the very least <clears throat> has some narcissistic personality. He is very successful, and when we were first married, I felt that he paid more attention to me. After 17 years of marriage and three children, all he does now is immerse himself in his work. We don't talk much unless it is about how he is doing at work and his accomplishments. Uh, at first, I was worried that there was someone else, but I have confirmed that there isn't, but he does not pay attention to me as he used to. He will give me gifts and he pays attention to the children, though not as much as they would like. His work seems to be everything to him. Is this the way he is just, excuse me, is this the way he 
just is now, or is there any hope to make things better? You know, this is an interesting situation that we find ourselves in um, because we got to ask ourselves, well, what's going on in this relationship? Let's back up and, and look at it for a little bit. You know, we look at our spouse and I hope that, you know, sometimes we wonder, as I do couples counseling sometimes or talk to different couples, you know, people look at their spouse and they're like, boy, did I pick a winner, you know? And I hope that people do feel like they picked a winner because that's what's going to build our relationships. That's what's going to make us uh, recognize the importance and the value of the sacrament of marriage because it really is about whoever I picked, I'm going to make them a winner. I'm going to help make them a winner. We're going to make each other winners by listening to each other, being at service to each other, and really thinking that we are both working towards the same goal of trying to get to heaven. It's kind of like we're both in the same race and we are in an obstacle course. If anybody's ever done like a mud run or something like that, you know, this is my team member and we got to get through these obstacles and I got to use their strengths and they're going to, and I hope that my strengths help us through and we're going to work on this goal together to get to that finish line. That really is what a marriage should be in society. Unfortunately, we see that marriage isn't valued quite as much um, and we can end up in these situations. In this particular situation, I don't know that this person is narcissistic. Again, I've never met them, um, but I do value when people are concerned. Uh, I want to listen to what they have to say. In this particular case, there are some traits here, if you will, um, from the spouse's perspective. I've not, not met this person, and I would like to talk to the to the husband and say, hey, you know, what, what's your take on this? What's going on? Because we might hear a different story. But let's break down these questions as they came up. So, one of the things that's that's important here is he is very successful. And when he was first married, I felt he paid more attention to me. So what I wonder, and I have to ask myself is in the process of this relationship, when you were first married, was he as successful? Usually we attribute success to needing to work a lot or being at work or, you know, paying a lot of attention to careers or jobs or our own business, whatever we have that is making income. And we normally say successful as making good income. So on the one hand, we know that this person's working hard, um, is what I would assume. And maybe when you were first married, he didn't, wasn't quite as quote unquote successful. Maybe he didn't need to work as hard or maybe he had more time for the family. That could be something that's going on. Um, because what you're saying is that he paid more attention to you before. One thing that we want to remember is that narcissism is pervasive and it usually starts in our youth. So it's not, if you were married and somebody was showering you with flowers and, um, you know, paying attention to you and constantly telling you how beautiful you were, how much they loved you and going out and doing things together, that would already, already automatically make it so that they don't have narcissistic personality disorder. Unless, now here's a big unless, unless that person is doing that in order to make themselves look good. In other words, if I have a very beautiful wife and all of a sudden I make sure that she's in very expensive dresses, the latest fashions and things like that, because when I go out in public, I want people to tell me how wonderful my spouse is. It could be wife or husband, you know. We use the term trophy wife, but there's trophy husbands out there too. You know, if you always want your spouse to look a certain way because it, how it's going to reflect on you, um, that could be something that we want to consider in terms of is this person narcissistic. You know, do we have to put up on social media all these pictures of us standing next to fancy cars and going on a nice vacation, even though that didn't really happen. I might've been walking down the street and there happened to be a beautiful sports car and it had to have a, at the beach and it was a beautiful backdrop. And all of a sudden we take a picture and we make up this life. Um, it could be kind of narcissistic there. I'm not saying that the person has narcissistic personality disorders, but it's that sense of pride of, I want to be a recognize for something that I did not work for and is actually not pertained to me. Um, 
So in this particular case, the husband seems to be working a lot more. Might have paid more attention before. I don't know that he wouldn't have narcissistic personality disorder. Um, 17 years of marriage, so that's pretty good. I would dare say if somebody has narcissistic personality disorder officially, they would be very hard to get along with because there is an aggressivity that comes with it. If the person is not recognized the way that they want or their ego is fragile and hurt, then all of a sudden they can get very, very angry they can blow their top, they can get very mad, and they can be a very scary person to live with. Um, one of these things is usually, I mean, it could be 17 years of marriage, but um, it, some most marriages will technically break up before that. I shouldn't say most marriages. Some marriages might break up before that because it, the person would be very hard to live with. Um, we would equate that sometimes to, I would have to ask them, is this an abusive relationship? Are you ever afraid for your physical safety, um, because that can happen. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but that can happen. Um, this is important. We don't talk much unless it's about how he's doing at work and his accomplishments. So that could be something that I would ask the other spouse. Do you feel that you're not important unless you're at work? Or do you feel that your work is the only thing that gives you value and the only thing that gives you a sense of an accomplishment? Um, because that might be where they're getting their self-esteem. They might say, well, you know, the kids are getting older and they're not really hanging out with me. My wife seems to be doing her own thing and I don't feel like I'm that important. It could just be that the person does not feel that they're integrated into the relationship. Um, she's saying we don't talk as much. I would ask the, the wife as well who wrote this. I would say, well, what do you want to talk about? What topics would you want to talk about? Or do you wait for him to come and talk to you. It's more, first I'd like to look at what's going on in the dynamic of the relationship before I say, yes, this person's definitely narcissistic. Um, you know, but there was a, con a concern for her too. I think she feels that she's being neglected. Um, she was worried that there could have been another woman in that. And she said she confirmed that there isn't, and that's fine, uh, which is good. Um, but then if you're concerned about that, then I got to wonder, where's the sense of affection? What are we doing as a couple? You got three kids. Are you able to get away and take time for yourselves as well? Does everything surround just the children? You know, there's a whole lot of questions that need to be unpacked here. Um, he will give me gifts. That's a good sign. You know, if, if somebody's still paying attention to you, even uh, wishing you a happy birthday, giving you gifts, that's a good sign that they're thinking outside of themselves. Again, unless they're doing it because it's going to bring them to a higher level or bring them recognition. You know, gosh, look at what, a uh, look at what gift I gave my wife for her, uh, for our anniversary or for her birthday. Did you see those earrings? I bought, yes, I spent a lot of money on them. Oh yes. So I get the praise for the gift I gave her. Right. So it's not about how beautiful she looks in the earrings. It's all about how I made her look beautiful. So you got to look at what is the reason behind the gifts? What's going on there? What is the person hoping to accomplish? Um, his work seems to be everything to him. This can happen. This can happen. Um, in the sense that if the person is becoming, as we say here in society, successful, um, work can become everything because that's how we introduce ourselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a sense of narcissistic personality disorder. It could just be a sense of, I want to be important in society. I want to be valued in society. I want to, uh, uh, to not feel like I'm not important, not in a narcissistic sense, but even just a societal sense of, I want maybe that for all I know, the spouse is saying, no, I'm doing this so that when I go out and we go out in public, my family can be proud and say, you know, my dad is a successful businessman or my wife can say, yeah, my husband provides for us really well. You know, who knows what he's thinking? Um, I think it's so important that we start to communicate more 
and that we start to talk more because it sounds like there were some very positive things in this relationship that might not be the same now after 17 years, the conversation's over or has not been, uh, and they've not maybe not grown together. Um, and they might not know what to talk about. There's a whole lot here that I would have to sit down and not solve in one session, but this would be over the course of many sessions because what I would encourage. And the first thing I would ask, because the last question is, is there a way, is this the way that he just is now, or is there any hope to make things better? I think there's always hope. And I think that this actually played very nicely in the fact that now I'm praying for hope in our holy hour challenge, but I think there's always hope. The first thing I do with couples is I say, don't try to change it overnight because if you're going to try to change it overnight, normally what happens is as couples, we say, well, I want my spouse to be like this and like this and like this. And I have my own checkoff list. And that's not good either because that's my own narcissism or my own sense of, you know, this is what I want. I think we need to take a step back sometimes. And in this case, I would, the first thing I would ask is, do you still consider yourselves to be friends? Do you have a friendship? Because if you don't build the marriage on the friendship, then you're not going to have much of a marriage. What's the difference between, you know, what I'm looking at here in a friendship, a friendship, if somebody's truly a friend, then there is no sense of, I expect this from you other than your friendship. Being with you is what makes me happy. Yes, there is, there has to be a give and take, but I see that you have my best interest at heart and being your friend, I have your best interest at heart. So I'm not trying to see how can I use you to make my life better, but if you have some qualities or strengths that might be able to help me out. I might ask you for a favor and I would expect the same from you. If we, as a couple start with our friendship and we start to look at how we can build each other, then I think that we can have a whole lot of hope after 17 years of marriage. Let's start talking again. Let's see what we can do together. Let's see where our relationship is at now. More about this when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to the last part here of the Dr. Luis Sandoval show. Um, I hope you've been enjoying our show today. We're talking about narcissism and really, really getting down to what is it in terms of how do we diagnose this? What are the actual traits, not just the societal attributes that we say, you know, gosh, that person's so narcissistic. They have such a big ego. Uh, if you're joining us now, we were talking, we went through the traits and we were talking about a uh, question that one of our listeners sent in to me and asking me if their uh, spouse potentially had narcissistic personality disorder. I always say it's a great question. Um, and we want to make sure though, that we go through the criteria before we automatically assume. I also wouldn't necessarily listen to uh, everything everybody else might say on the internet. And they say, Oh, this person's narcissistic because of this or my spouse. And then they go on and put a whole lot of negative things on there. Um, I would take my time and just look at who is my spouse. This might actually be a great time to say, where's our relationship at now? Um, are we still talking? Because what we got to remember is that we grow as people and our relationships evolve. And it might be a great time to say, let me sit down and talk to my spouse. Have I ever asked them what their hobbies are? Do I even really know my spouse anymore? Um, because you know, our tastes change. I'm not the same person I was when I was in my twenties. Uh, at least I hope, I hope that there's a maturing. I hope that there is a progressive changing, um, for the better. And if I've changed, then boy, I, my spouse has probably evolved herself as well. And sometimes it's good to sit down, have that conversation and talk. Um, you know, we've come into now the holy hour challenge part of our show. And now we are talking about hope. And I think that this is so important, um, to talk about hope in the world of narcissism, because that's what the big difference is. The narcissist is going to take pride in themselves 
in themselves. Notice I say that versus hope is outside of ourselves. My hope is that I will get to heaven and that it is through the power of God that I will get there, through the mercy of God that I will get there, and my hope is in God. In other words, anything I have, any talent that I have, I see that as coming from God. I have all humility is what I would hope for, and that's where the hope comes in. That's really what hope is, and we're going to go through that a little bit and see what the catechism has to say, versus if I'm narcissistic and everything comes from inside of me, I believe that my power comes from inside of me, I'm going to be full of a sense of I want adoration for something that is not attributable to me, and I want people to assume that I'm wonderful in and of myself. I'm going to gain a sense of pride, and then I think I will say something like, I will not serve. I think when we does that sound familiar to any of our listeners? If I will not serve, what does that do? If I don't understand that I must serve and everything comes from God, if I don't want to serve, I think that I'm making a choice for myself. I'm making a choice that I want to separate myself from that. You know, it's interesting because when we see other people, one thing to ask ourselves is, do we get happy in other people when they do well or do we feel bad? When I see somebody else succeed, um, do I get a sense of happiness for them? Can I share in that happiness or do I get jealous? Do I tell them that they are narcissistic? Do I do what we call projecting um, where I attribute to them what I'm actually feeling? You know, I was just having a conversation with our producer uh, and he reminded me of the story of the song of Bernadette, Bernadette where he told me he saw the movie and, you know, Bernadette was our, our lady of Lourdes appeared to her and Bernadette had to do a lot of suffering, but she was getting a whole lot of attention and her sister thought that maybe she was being narcissistic or she was taking a whole lot of pride in that until she saw the sufferings of her sister. She saw some of her malady. She saw that she was sick. And then the sister kind of had uh, a moment where she realized, wow, you know, she's not doing this for the glory. She's actually suffering as she's doing this. And she then wanted to help her and wanted to be there with Bernadette. Another, this contrast to the story of the prodigal son. And when we talk about the prodigal son, we see that, you know, we attribute the prodigal son as a son who left and spent all this money. And he obviously spent it on bad things, according to what the parable tells us. And then he came back. But who was the prodigal son? Is it the son who came back and said, Father, I am here in all humility because I realize what I've done is wrong. I sinned against you in heaven. Please take me as your servant. Notice he came back asking to serve, to be in a position of serving. He did not care if he was the lowest of the servants so long as he was in his father's house. Versus if we look at it, his brother was more of a prodigal son in the sense that he sees that his dad rejoices in his son, his, his other son coming back. He sees that his dad throws him a party because he says he's, he was dead and is now alive. But the other son says, Hey, where's my recognition? You've never thrown me a party. Where is my, where are my accolades? You know, I don't think so. Where is, I don't think that this other brother of mine should get any recognition or a party because he's so bad and I am so good. Look at me, right? And what happens there? That brother does not want to join the party. He cannot rejoice in his brother coming back because he's waiting to be recognized himself. There's got to be a sense of narcissism there, um, if you will, a trait. I'm not saying you have the personality disorder, but a sense of a trait of pride, a sense of were you only there to help your father because you wanted to be recognized or were you there to help your father because you loved your father? And so these are things that we need to consider as I'm doing the Holy Hour Challenge and I want to focus on hope, I want to make sure that I look at that and ask myself, you know, is my hope in God or in my own accomplishments? Is my hope in uh, knowing that 
regardless of what's happening in my life, God is going to take care of me? Or is my hope in my money and my career and whatever is going on around me uh, that might make other people value me? And this is where I'm hoping that I, my hope is fully in God so that I might be humble for the world. I wanted to read a couple things that have helped as we've been doing these holy hours. So as I uh, told our listeners before, I've been reading The Imitation of Christ, you know, as I do the holy hour challenge through the, over these last few weeks. But I went back to chapter seven and chapter seven is on false confidence and arrogance. It says this, it is foolish to put your trust in humans or in any creature for that matter. Why should your mind serving others? Why should you mind serving others or being poor in the eyes of the world? As long as you do it for the love of Jesus Christ, put all your confidence in God, but do not trust yourself. Opposite of the narcissist, right? The narcissist is all about me, my titles, what people are going to see me and no confidence in God in that sense. Do what you can to please him and he will reward you well for your goodwill. Do not trust your own cleverness nor that of any person. Rather, put your trust in the grace of God who gives aid to the humble but humiliates the presumptuous. Do not boast of riches if you have them or of your important friends, but glory in God only from whom all good things come and who being the highest good desires to give himself. Do not boast of beauty of body which is soon disfigured by illness or age. Do not be proud of any talent or skills you possess, for in this way you displease God from whom you have received them. This is where it really comes down to the narcissist can't see that their, you know, shall we say glory, shall we say that their accolade, shall we say that any accomplishments or awards or anything they have, they can't see that as coming from anybody else. They think that it came all from themselves, that it was their own power, almost like they were born with all knowledge and all power. And they don't see that really. God is what gives us this. What about all the teachers who helped me accomplish or get the degrees? What about my parents who helped me get to school or things of that nature? We got to remember, I never did this on my own. There's the last part of this chapter seven here in the imitation of Christ. Do not consider yourself better than others for you may be worse in God's sight. Do not be proud of your good works for often what pleases us displeases God whose judgment differ from the judgment of humans. Whatever goodness or virtue is in you, believe that your neighbor has better qualities. In this way, you will preserve humility. It will not hurt you to consider yourself worse than others, even if this is not really so, but it will hurt greatly if you prefer yourself above another, although that person might be a great sinner. A humble person is a peaceful person, but the heart of the proud are full of envy and resentment. Remember, one of the traits for the narcissistic personality disorder, very envious of other people and very resentful. I thought that was very appropriate from the imitation of Christ in terms of how are we going to focus on our humility versus our sense of pride and our narcissism. That also reminds me of that passage where Christ says, when you show up to the wedding feast, don't don't sit yourself at the front row, sit yourself at the very back row. Consider yourself less than everybody else. Because if you sit yourself at the front row, you might get embarrassed. The groom might tell you, you need to go back a few notches. Versus if you sit yourself at the very back, you have the hope that the groom might come up and say, you know, you're more important than this. Get up here. You know, let me show you who you are. And everybody around you will realize that the groom is what gave you the value. He's the one who brought you up. Christ is the one who gives us value. And in that way, nobody can reproach that. Nobody can say that that was not important. And that's really where our hope lies. That's what I'm praying for. From the catechism of the church, I wanted to look up, but what is hope? What does, what does the catechism say about hope? And it starts in the entry 1817, 
Hope is a theological virtue for which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in the promises of Christ and relying not on our strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let us keep the profession of our hope without wavering because he who has promised is faithful. And that's from Hebrews 10, 23. And then it says, the virtue of hope responds to the aspiration of happiness, which God has placed in the heart of every man. It assumes the expectations that inspire the activities of men. He purifies them to take them to the kingdom of heaven, safeguards from discouragement, supports in all moments of abandonment, expands the heart in the expectation of eternal bliss, the momentum of hope preserves from selfishness and leads to the joy of charity. Notice, as we have hope in God and we get rid of our own pride, our own narcissistic tendencies, we start to look at what are the gifts that God gave me. We appreciate the, the gifts that God gave me and it preserves me from being selfish and it leads me to the joy of charity, of love, of giving. Charity is always giving. Um, just a couple more passages here. Uh, Christian hope resumes and brings to fullness the hope of the chosen people who find their origin and their model in the hope of Abraham, built in Isaac with the promises of God and purified by the trial of sacrifice. Right? Christian hope develops from the beginning of the preaching of Jesus in the proclamation of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes elevate our hope towards heaven as towards a new promised land. They trace the way through the trials awaiting the disciples of Jesus. But for the merits of Jesus Christ and his passion, God guards us in the hope that he does not disappoint. This is the biggest difference. This is a difference that we can um, tell somebody if I'm treating them for narcissism. One of the important things about treating for narcissism is you want to tell them right away if you find out that, yes, you do meet the criteria for narcissism, this is what's happening. Because for the most part, as you're trying to help the person out, one, they don't like that they're getting help from somebody else, right? They're supposed to be able to have the answers. They're supposed to be able to fix it. So they're probably going to try to direct the care. That's something that we want to consider with our friendships, our relationships. Is it all about them? Are they directing everything or do they take other people into consideration? As we pray for the virtue of hope, we hope that our everything comes from God. I am nothing in the eyes of the world because I want to be everything in the eyes of God. And then I'm not going to worry about the world things. I'm going to make sure that I use my gifts as a service to others. And I'm going to ask others, what's going on in their lives? How can I make their life better? This is what I think is going to really bring us peace. Remember, as we're doing our holy hour, we've gone through love. We've gone through faith. We're on hope. And then we're going to do another round of love. The goal of all this is to find peace in God and not worry about finding peace in a world that's full of chaos. It would be impossible. It's not going to be possible to find peace in this world. As we keep doing these prayers, feel free to reach out to us here at the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You can reach me at drdr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Until next week, this is Dr. Luis Sandoval from the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Have a blessed week, everybody.